How many of you are coming in tonight kind of exhausted? Where are you at? All right. I'll be brief tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> my name's Jared. I really appreciate that, Tim. I've got to know Tim over the years. Uh, Tim's daughter, Kayla, and son-in-law, Tony, are my wife and I, some of our best friends. We get to serve in the student ministry at Soteria. Three years ago, I spoke to the teens and I dropped Noah Schumacher, our LCA for the week, during a trust fall. I'm like, I'm never doing a trust fall in front of people ever again. Eight years ago, I was at Family 2 as a contender, and I had, I know I had you guys in my first through third grade class. I know that. I know I had Anthony, and I'm sure I had Allison. I, yep, there you are, Allison. I know I had a couple of you. Does anybody else think you had me as your teacher, first through th third grade? Let's see, you'd be going into ninth, 10th, or 11th grade now, something like that. But it's such a privilege uh, to be here tonight and open God's word. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Lord, we are so excited to see what your word has to teach us tonight because your word is good enough. It's profitable. Father, we have been inundated with, with all sort of, sorts of news and headlines and theories in political aspirations, all of that. But we need your word more than any of that. And that's why we're here at camp. Lord, we do praise you that we get to have camp. That has been sovereignly ordained by you. And you know what you're doing. So God, I ask that you'd help us tonight to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Few things in my life bring me more satisfaction than making plans. I need... Confession's good for the soul. How many of you like to plan? All right? How many of you are like, I just like to wing it? Like, whatever. I'll wake up and then set my agenda for the day. All right. I'll pray for you guys. But going back to the people who plan, planners, raise your hand. Of those who plan, you are paper planners. How many of you of the paper planners have already burned your 2020 planner? Like, it's shot, right? How many of you have gone the digital route with calendars and to-do lists? I make to-do lists about my to-do lists. That's how nerdy I am. You see, I enjoy making plans. My wife gets a little stressed out by them. My wife is already dreading the fact that Christmas is on a Friday this year because she knows that we go to her dad's the Saturday after Christmas. So we've got my family on Christmas Eve, her family on Christmas Day, and then her dad's family on Christmas. And it's like, and Christmas is on a Friday. Like, it's just where we go. We are so different in that way. But one thing we do enjoy doing, every once in a while as we sit down, we get our two girls to bed. And if we're, especially if we don't have a show we're going through right now, we sit and we just talk about future plans. We want to we just want to put student loans out of our life forever. Is anybody with me? Can, can I get a witness? Oh, man. We talk about future vacations we want to take. I'm a big nerd. I love Lord of the Rings. I love The Hobbit. Did you guys know that they do a, like an 11 or 12-day Lord of the Rings tour in New Zealand? You get to spend the night one night in the Shire. You get to see where all the stuff was planned. Anybody following me here? It, that's where I want to take a future vacation one day. We talk, about, we talk about the future, how many kids we want to have, all those sort of things, what we want to do when we grow up, that sort of stuff. We love making plans, long-term plans. See, planning is a good thing, and it's 
by no means an evil or wrong thing to do. In fact, planning for the future often evidences wise stewardship. But when we take our making of plans way too far, that actually can demonstrate a foolish and prideful heart. Turn in your Bibles, whether you are 11 or 12, all the way to our senior saints here, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm a youth pastor at heart, so I'm going to do like I do in youth group. When you have James 4, put your finger on it and give me a nice cheesy smile so I know you're tracking with me. James 4. Those are some good, good teeth. You guys have been brushing during camp. I like it. That's good. James 4, 13 through 17. In these verses, James gives us a warning about making plans without God and being consumed by those plans. Just being all consumed with these plans that we're making without God. And instead, he encourages, James says, it's okay to go ahead and make plans, but make those plans in pencil. Make those plans in pencil. So we're going to ask the question today of why we should make our plans in pencil. And James gives us two reasons. Instead of writing our plans in ink, put down the ink pen, pick up the pencil, a nice number two with an eraser on the back, and make our plans in pencil. The first reason we should make our plans in pencil is this. Our knowledge is limited but God's knowledge is limitless. Look at verses 13 and 14. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Come now, come now, pay attention, people. Listen up, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. James, in these verses, in verse 13, he's addressing thrifty entrepreneurs, business people who have a business plan and they want to put it into action. Raise your hand here if you are an entrepreneur. You like finding different ways of making money. I've got a kid in my youth group. He flips shoes. I'm like, what in the world? I'm serious. He enters these like lotteries for shoes and he'll make Three, four hundred dollars on a pair of shoes. You could add up the total amount of I've spent on shoes in the last 10 years. I don't know if it'd get to 400 bucks. But, but he's this business mentality. James is talking to these businessmen. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. He doesn't condemn these people for having a plan. What he does condemn them for is that their plan is all this worldly. It's not thinking about eternal things. It's thinking about this world. And he's talking to business people who it's very likely were taking advantage of other people, even other believers in the church. These thrifty business people set on making a profit were only focused on the here and now. They were making their plans without God and they were writing them down in ink. And James says, this is foolish, because even the most well-thought-through business plan, the most thought-through scheduling, apart from God, can be wiped away with one tragedy, one job loss, one medical diagnosis, one virus, can wipe away all those plans. And though we might consider 
our lives long, James says, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and our life is like a vapor. It's like a mist that's here one moment and is gone the next. I absolutely love this clan right here, like the Bleaker clan. Can I have one of you guys come up and help me? Come on, is it Randy? How are you doing, Randy? I like your patriotic socks. Come on up here. Randy, is your last name Bleaker? Or? My last name is Jimenez. Jimenez, cool. Randy, do you trust me? Yeah. Okay, cool. Turn and face our lovely congregation. Randy, what grade are you going into? I'm going to be a senior. It's going to be a senior. Excellent. All right, Randy, how old are you? 17? 17. 17, good. Who's the youngest family member that you have here? Immediate or relative? Relative, like of the Bleaker clan. Lexi. Lexi is the youngest. How many months? 11. 11 months, not even a year. How old's the oldest family member you have here? Round it, just ballpark it a little bit. Pretty sure, 55, I think. 55? Yeah. All right. I, I, <laughs> I hear some groanings. Uh, all right. she's, been, she's had the 30-year anniversary of being 26? Is that, yeah, cool. All right. I don't know about you. I'm turning 30 this year. I used to think 30 was really old. 30 doesn't look so old. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, please. So, I used to think 30 was pretty old. Now that I'm almost 30, I used to think 60 was old, but now my parents are in their 60s. And I realize time goes really fast. So I got some hot water here. We're going to do our best to pour it in here. And James says, our life, whether it's 17, 11 months, or 90 years, is just like a mist. It's like a steam that's here for a little while and then vanishes. At the moment when you pour the water, the steam's heavy. But in a matter of moments, that steam's gone. James says our life is like a vapor. It's like a mist that's here for a little while and then vanishes. Thank you very much, Randy. You can either take that down and drink the hot coffee water or I can take it back. All right, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Let's give Randy a hand. I'm so glad that I neither poured scalding water on him or had him spill. That's, that's really good. The, the message that life is short is one that's throughout Scripture. It's everywhere. Our pastor did a series uh, this past winter and spring on the book of Job. And he didn't sprint through the book of Job. He spent like 18 weeks in the book of Job. Job is a man who understood how short our life is. He says, Job says in different parts of the book, in Job 7, 6, he says, My days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. When you're a weaver, you're running thread and you're spinning it and it goes so quickly. He says, that's what my life is like. In Job 8, 9, he says, Our days on earth are but a shadow. We have one tree in our backyard. It's a big tree, but it doesn't cover our whole yard. And I'm amazed every day at how you get up in the morning and one part of our yard is so nice and cool and shaded, but then just by midday, that shadow's gone, and then the shadow's on another spot by the end of the day. Job says that's what our life is like. Job 9, 25 and 26 says, My, di- my days fly by faster than a runner. They flee without seeing any good. They sweep by like boats made of papyrus, like an eagle swooping down on its prey. 
Our lives are short. Only God knows how long our life is. But God uses our short, vapor-length life to accomplish his purpose. And James isn't saying, just because life is so short like a vapor, don't bother making plans. But what he is saying is that we should devote our entire life to making our plans with God, letting God set the agenda, make, let God make the plans. And we must remember that while our knowledge is limited, we only know this much. God doesn't just know what's going to happen. He's planned it from before he created the world. Brothers and sisters, God knows what he is doing. Our knowledge is limited, but God's knowledge is limitless. God used the short, vapor-length life of a man named David Brainerd to accomplish his purposes. I think if you are in a spiritual funk, if you are in a valley, pick up a biography of a missionary. And I'd encourage you to study David Brainerd. See, David was born in Connecticut in the year 1718. At the age of nine, his dad died. At the age of 14, his mother died. He lived with his sister for a while. He inherited a farm, tried farming, but it just wasn't for him. He really wanted to get a good education. So he enrolled in Yale, but was sick all the time. He was just a sick young man. He could never stay in school very long. Finally, he kind of uh, jumped over a hurdle of sickness, and he was planning for ministry. In fact, he trusted Christ at the age of 21. And he caught a religious fervor and knew that God wanted him to go be a missionary. And he went back to Yale. Back then, Yale was a school to train pastors and missionaries. I know, it blows my mind too, right? David Brainerd enrolled there. But did you guys know he let one idle sentence, one word of critique about a professor, and he got booted? He described a faculty member, get this, guys, is having no more grace than a chair. He said that about a faculty member and was expelled. And the thing back in colonial United States, if you got expelled from one school, you couldn't just hop over and finish online. You couldn't just go down the street. You were done. David was so dejected. He was outlawed from pastoring in New England because he got expelled from Yale. But thankfully, a young pastor took David under his wing and discipled him worked with him, and finally was able to convince a group to commission him as a missionary to the American Indians. So he was sent way out west. But you know what's crazy? In the early 1700s, do you know what way out west was for David, the, the frontier? New Jersey. Isn't that wild? So David was sent as a missionary to the American Indians in the wild, wild west of New Jersey. He served there and saw much success in sharing Christ. His life was on fire. But despite seeing all that fruit, he struggled with intense physical pain, depression, and loneliness. David's life was very difficult. Even when he saw victories, those victories came with much pain. David got sick with tuberculosis and thankfully was taken in the home of a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, whose wife, Jerusha, cared for David for the last four months of his life. He died, and then four months later, Jerusha died. 
of tuberculosis. David died at the age of 29. David's story hits really home with me because I'm 29. And I feel like I have my whole life ahead of me. But God chose to bring David home at the age of 29. One sense of me, what a sad life. Man, what, what could have he done with 10, 20, 30, 40 more years on the mission field? But you know what? God had a plan for that short, vapor-length life. You see, David kept diaries throughout his time on the mission field. He poured out his soul of everything he was going through, of what, how he saw God's hand, how he needed God's help. And Jonathan Edwards took those diaries and he published them. And God used that to fan the flame in the missionary's heart. And we owe much of the modern missionary movement to David Brainerd. People like John Wesley, Henry Martin, William Carey, Robert Murray McShane, David Livingston, Andrew Murray. And 200 years later, a young missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. All of these missionaries say what got them through to the mission field was God using the life, the 29-year-old life of David Brainerd. God used David Brainerd's short, vapor-length life to lead thousands, perhaps millions of people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not because David was the Savior, but because David pointed to the Savior, Jesus Christ. As we look to our lives, brothers and sisters, it is perfectly right and appropriate to make plans. But let's make those plans in pencil. Our knowledge of the future is limited. We see like this much. But God not only sees the future, he's planned the future out. His knowledge is limitless. And he will use our short, vapor-length life to accomplish his purposes. So we see in verses 13 and 14, the first reason we should make our plans in pencil is because our knowledge is limited, but God's is limitless. The second reason is found in verses 15 through 17. And that's this. Our desires are tainted, but God's desires are perfect. James says at the end of the day, it's not the unknown which holds us back, but it's our desire to obey the known plan of God. James offers a correction to these businessmen making plans without God. He says this in verse 15. Instead, you should say this. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Not much change, is there? Except for one thing. The phrase, if the Lord wills. See, I used to think when somebody said, we're heading to, we're heading to Colorado this summer on vacation, Lord willing. Or I'd like, to, I'd like to study accounting at the University of Northern Iowa, Lord willing. That they were just being superstitious. Maybe some of them were. But it is not superstitious to use the phrase, if the Lord wills, or Lord willing. What are we actually saying when we say Lord willing? First, we're saying this. God, you're wiser than I am. If I got what I wanted in life, if I 
was that my career was what I wanted when I was 10 years old, I would be working in the Hawkeye section of Shields department store, selling Shields stuff. If I was doing what I wanted to do at 15, I'd be an accountant like my dad because I was pretty good at math. I don't even want to talk about who I would have married if I married who I wanted to marry in high school because I didn't even know my wife yet. But when I make plans, saying, Lord willing, this is what I'm saying, God, this is what I think I should do, but I'm going to trust you because you're wiser than I am. God, I don't know everything. I don't know all the variables. I don't know what you're going to try to accomplish in my life. God, you're wiser than I am. When we say, Lord willing, we're also saying this. God, I'm trusting you to take care of me. It's not just, God, you're smarter. It's, God, you're caring. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're trusting in Jesus and only Jesus to be in a right relationship with the God of the universe, then God is your Father. And God is trusting, we can trust God to take care of us. And if we can trust God with our souls and our eternal future, we can trust him with our week back from family camp, with our fall, with all the uncertainty around COVID. Parents, we can trust him with our children and with our grandchildren. We can trust him with our future jobs and decision making. God, I'm trusting you to take care of me. And lastly, God, I'm submitting to your sovereign rule. If we truly believe that God has a plan for all of history and he's moving all of history in a direction, then when we say, Lord willing, I'd like to do this, what we're saying is this. I'm placing my plans, I'm placing my agenda, I'm placing my life under God's sovereign rule. Because he knows more than I am, he's trustworthy to take care of me, and I want him to rule over my life. That's what we say when we say, Lord willing. But James says, brings it back to reality. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says in verse 15, this is what you should say, but as it is right now, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says it's not a matter of intellect. It's your heart. It's your desires. And James says the same desires that cause you to make arrogant plans without God are the desires that cause you to quarrel and fight with other people. Look what he says at the beginning of verse uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. This is like the middle school youth group life verse right here. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions or your desires that wage war within you? The source of all of our conflict, at the end of the day, it's not the other person. It's not the devil made me do it. It's our desires that are at war within us. And he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So this is what we're saying when we leave God out of our plans. We're saying, God, I know more than you do. Yeah, God, I know you might have a plan for your life, but I really think this is what I should do. So I'm just going to do it my way. God, I think I know more than you. God, I trust myself more than I trust you. Yeah, God, I trust you with my soul, but this job opportunity, 
I'm going to take it. Just, God, I'm just going to go with it. I'm not going to seek wise counsel. I'm not going to talk to my spouse. I'm not going to trust, uh, go to a trusted Christian friend. I'm just going to go with it. Or yeah, I know nobody in my family approves of the person I'm dating. But I really like them. And so I'm going to go for it. Or yeah, I know my parents have put boundaries around me because they care for me. But most of those boundaries are unnecessary. I can handle this on my own. God, I trust myself more than I trust you. And lastly, God, I'm going to follow my desires, not yours. At the end of the day, it's not having limited knowledge alone. It's having warped, twisted desires. Desires that look out for only me. That's what we're saying when we leave God out of our plans. Our boasting comes from those same evil desires that cause conflict. But you see, he ends it in an interesting way. I used to have no idea why James 4.17 was in this little section of the book of James. He says, So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. I remember one of the older versions says, For whoever knows what to do and yet does not do it, to him it is sin. What he's talking about here is if you know what to do, and you refuse to do it, you are sinning. So sin isn't just something wrong that you commit or something you trespass. Sin is refusing to do what God has put in your life. And if you look just in the book of James, just to this point, we can say with confidence that God wants us to do all of these things. James 1.2, we should endure trials with joy. James 1.5, we should ask God in faith for wisdom. 119, the one we're working with in our family, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We know that it's God's will to receive and obey the word, James 122. We know it's God's will that we treat others fairly without favoritism, James 2.1. James 2.18 says, we know it's God's will for to demonstrate our faith by good works. James 3.1, one of the scariest verses, we know it is God's will that we control our tongue. Verse 8 of chapter 4, we know it is God's will to pursue godliness, not worldliness. In 5.13, we know it is God's will to pray with trust in him. So James brings this whole section and chapter to a conclusion when he says this. When we know what we need to do, we need to obey. And when we're not following the expressed, clear will of God in scripture, we are sinning. God's word makes abundantly clear that sins of omission, not doing what we're supposed to do, is just as real and just as serious of sins of commission or sins of disobeying the right thing. It's our desires that need changed. And we can get so wrapped up, so consumed with the unknown. Where do I live? Who should I marry? What is life going to look post-COVID? What's going to happen to my 401k? What is going to happen with my kids when they leave the house? When we get so consumed with the unknown that we don't focus on the known will of God. Partly, probably because I like planning so much, I also really struggle with worry. I'd call it little a anxiety. There have been times in my life where I've nearly been paralyzed with fear of the unknown, of knowing the future. I remember one of those instances was in college. Now, I'm not normally a journaler when it comes to spending time in God's Word. That's just not normally what I do. 
But God, I think, using his word prompted me to do this. I started a journal. I started that journal entry on, let me look here, March 19th, 2011. I wrote this. Instead of worrying about what I am unsure of regarding God's will in my life, I'm going to dwell on all that God's word does tell me. It is God's will that I dot, 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 and I started to fill in the blanks. Because I said, I'm so consumed with all these other things, I just need to go to God's word. If we need to know God's will, we run to God's word. So I just started making a list, 10 a day. 10 a day. So March 19th, it's God's will that I trust in him with all my heart, dwell on his word, keep myself from idols, flee sexual immorality, be salt and light, pray for my leaders. And I just started going down. And I got done with that day, The next day, I decided to open my Bible and find 10 more things that I could know for sure regarding God's will for my life. And God used that exercise over the course of several months, and I still come back to this, to change my desires. So instead of desiring to make all these plans without God, I need to just run to God and see what his will is for my life. I'll be honest with you, these last couple months have been pretty rough. How many of you would say these last couple months have been rough for me and my family? There's the first world problems of, you know, having to do youth group on Zoom instead of meeting in person, which is, Zoom's okay, but man, it's no substitute. Uh, it's been stretching as a, as a young pastor, having to figure out how to shepherd, to care for people we couldn't see for the longest time. It's been tough for families. I just felt like we were constantly bickering with each other because we got more time with each other. Anybody there? We, we couldn't do all these other things. All the way to the most, I mean, the, some of the most serious. I had a cousin out in New Jersey. She lost three family members to COVID. I know several people who lost their job, their entire livelihood because of the economic shutdown. People are suffering in real ways during this stretch of time. But you know what? I never would have made plans for, you know, mid-March to here we are in early July, COVID. But God is doing amazing things during this time. Just in our own family, I'm a perpetual over-planner. I put too many things on our schedule. I say yes to too many things. So God, forcing me to say no to a bunch, gave our family an opportunity to put family worship at the center of our home. We're not perfect at it. I wouldn't even call us good, but we're able to get around the word. We've been able to go on more walks. I've been able to talk to my wife in more deep and spiritually enriching ways. I wouldn't have wanted that or made any plans for it, but God's working. I know God is working in your family too during this season. So why should we continue to make our plans in pencil? Instead of making our plans in ink and just rolling with it, why should we make our plans in pencil? First, our knowledge is limited, but God's knowledge is limitless. None of us know what tomorrow holds, much less a year or a decade from now, but God is sovereignly moving all of history in a direction, and he will use our lives, our suffering, all of our relationships to accomplish his purposes. Second, our desires are tainted, but God's desires are perfect. 
Instead of arrogantly boasting in our plan, saying, I'm doing this with my life, we should humbly commit to obeying God's clear direction for our lives, remembering that his desires are perfect. And guys, listen to me, especially teens, listen to me. Obeying God doesn't lead to a life of misery. The most miserable people I know aren't the people that are sold out for Jesus. It's the people that are enslaved to their own desires. And on the flip side, the happiest, most joyful people I know are those who love Jesus, who love his church, who love running to his word. Their lives aren't easy, but they're joyful. So our big idea tonight is this. As we munch on our free popcorn, enjoy all that camp has to offer and and go to bed, I want us to remember this. James says this. Noah, I'm going to need you to help me out. The, there we go. As we look to the future, we don't have to be consumed with the unknown. Instead, we can focus on obeying the known. As we look to the future, whether that's the next couple weeks, the summer, the fall, the uncertainty of what's going to happen, We don't have to be consumed with the unknown. Instead, we can focus on obeying the known. So I want to give you guys a few next steps. I think all of us would be in at least one of these next steps. Somebody's next step here tonight might be this. If our plans are sinful, we need to remove them. If your plans go directly against what God's word teaches, cross them out, erase them, get rid of them. They're not going to lead to joy they're not going to lead to a fruitful life. Secondly, if our motivations are selfish, we need to confess them. Maybe you have good plans. Maybe nothing that you're planning on is sinful, but you're doing it all for your own attention, for your own fame, rather for the one who died for you and rose again. In that case, we need to confess those wrong motivations and find the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. Maybe your plans are unsure. Maybe you're like me in college saying, I have no idea who I'm going to marry, what I'm going to do after college. I don't know what the future holds. Maybe you're in a a crossroad. Maybe you're needing to find a second career. Maybe your family has some tough decisions coming up. If our plans are unsure, we need to focus, we need to seek God's sure plan. We need to open God's word and see what his will is for our life. And finally, If God's will is clear, we need to obey. What's your next step? What is God telling you through the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17? I'd encourage you, circle one, draw an arrow next to one, and share that with a family member. Share that with a a trusted friend tonight before your head hits the pillow. Remember, as we look to the new year, as we look to the future, We don't have to be consumed with the unknown. Instead, we can focus on obeying the known. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the chance to look at your word. And thank you for the book of James. Thank you for the practical wisdom in that book. Father, I pray that we would not make plans without consulting you. And not just asking you to to sign your name on the bottom of our plans, but saying, God, You make the plans for my life. I only know a little bit, but God, your knowledge is limitless. 
God, my desires are so tainted with selfishness, but your desires are perfect. God, I'm going to stop seeking my own will, and I'm going to seek your will as revealed in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit to what you've shown us in your word. Lord, knowing that the power to obey doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from the, your spirit working in and through our lives. Help us to be young men and women. Help us to be families. Help us to be moms and dads and grandparents. Help us to be staff members who make our plans in pencil, trusting you in your sovereign goodness to take care of us. In your son's name I pray, amen.